I try to ask God, okay, okay, what, what do you have for me here? I, I want this sermon to be for me uh, as much as it is for anybody else. Uh, and so this was one of those. And so I'm excited to share how God is working in my life uh, and hoping that we can all resonate. And so uh, before I begin, uh, I have to make a quick confession. Last week, uh, I tried to convince you guys that I was gluten-free. I uh, wanted to report back to you that that was not true this week. Uh, and so uh, thank you for your forgiveness. Uh, ironically, I was, I'm wearing socks with donuts on it, uh, but no one knows. It could be gluten-free donuts, right? You, you don't know. So uh, all that to say, there's my confession. So uh, Romans chapter 16, I'll have the scripture on the board, or you can go to it. Uh, in your Bible, uh, and we're talking about this morning the, the power of words, and we know that words have power, the, the power of affirmation, the, the power uh, of, of encouragement, the power of helping people that they are seen and loved and known. We know that goes a long ways, and we know that oftentimes that's missing uh, in, in, uh, a big missing component of our relationships, and, and I remember Myself growing up, and a lot of us also growing up, we hear this adage, uh, this old saying that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And, and we all know, and we've all been through enough life to, to sadly believe and know that that's not true. And oftentimes, uh, this verbal and emotional hurt and pain and words uh, is often more damaging and more trauma and more scarring than, than the time we, we fell down and scratched our knees or, or whatever it is. We know that words have power. Uh, and not just in these negative ways where we tear people down, uh, but it has power to lift up and build and, and, to, and to affirm people in their calling and their personhood uh, and their unity. And so that is why I love Romans chapter 16. Uh, we talk about the affirmation of giftedness, personhood, and unity. Those are the three things that we'll be talking about. These are the three ways that our words have power and can really change the trajectory of your relationships. So the word of the Lord says uh, this. I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church uh, in Kentrea, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Uh, greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding uh, amongst the apostles, sorry. Uh, and they were in Christ before I was. Let's pray and let's unpack this a bit. God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have set the stage for what it looks like to be loving, to be sacrificial, to show humility, and to lift others up. May we emulate what you have done on the cross. May we abide by the, what you teach and the way you live. And may we see how that changes lives. In your name we pray. Amen.
So a few years ago, uh, and, and I talk about this experience all the time, I, I took a, a global partner trip, which most churches would call a mission trip, we call it a global partnership trip, uh, to Rwanda. Uh, and, and I remember the first thing that happened when I went to Rwanda is that we met with the local pastors in this village. Uh, and as soon as the leaders from Bethany and myself, some other pastors and some other congregants, we sat down uh, and one of their leaders stood up. And, and I kid you not, they spent about 10 minutes uh, sending greetings on behalf of people from their village. Very similar to perhaps what we read in, in Paul's word here in chapter 16. Uh, and, and we were all a bit taken back on why it was important to spend several minutes uh, sending greetings. They would literally say, this person sends greetings to you. This person from this church sends greetings to you. That person from that village and that neighborhood sends greetings to you. And, and it was just interesting because that was the very first thing that happened when we landed and went to their village was they made sure that they wanted to take time to send their greetings on behalf of other people. And again, at the time, we were very confused as to why this was so important. But what we realized, that sending these greetings were very important to the Rwandan people. And so taking that, we fast forward to just last year. I wasn't able to make it to Rwanda again just last year. But the leaders that went decided to do something interesting. They wanted to, on our phones, videotape us, those that have been before but wasn't able to go just last year, to send greetings. And, and so I remember, you know, I had someone hold the camera, and I just simply said, greetings to you from Seattle. Uh, I, I miss you. And, and even a couple shout-outs to the pastors that were going to be there as well. And so uh, there was these greetings from various pastors from here that were sent uh, with others to Rwanda. And, and they did something interesting where one of the pastors from Bethany, they took a step back and they recorded, it was kind of a matrixy moment, they recorded the people watching the recordings of us. Does that make sense? And it was interesting to see how people just lit up when they saw these leaders and people and congregants just send their greetings through video. It was almost as if we were physically there with them. When others and myself would say greetings from Seattle, they would applaud, they would stand up, they would literally go to the TV as if we were right in front of them. And again, even just watching from afar, I was like, man, this, that's strange. I mean, I'm glad that we can be a blessing and they can bless us, and, but it's just kind of a strange phenomenon. Later, I find out that there's something unique and something so sacred and holy about these greetings that were so important. And, and these greetings, and we could even see in, in Romans 16, uh, is a statement that summed up with these words, I see you. I see you. And that's it. When I was talking to some of the leaders, they were saying, when we send greetings to one another, when they receive greetings, the message that you're sending them is simple. It's the message saying, I see you. I recognize you. I affirm who you are. And I want you to know that you're known and that you're loved. That's it. That is the beauty of these greetings that we would send to one another. And again, I, I, at this point, I, I, I didn't really know what it was about. But when this person was explaining to me this idea of, I see you, it made sense. 
And we all know what it feels like in our lives to have at one point in our lives, maybe even recently, maybe it's been a while, but to be truly seen and known and loved by the people you care for. And what I've realized is that this concept of, of the importance of being known and to know and to be seen and to see it's not unique to Rwandans. It's not unique to Americans. It's a universal condition and a need and desire that we were created with, this longing to be seen and affirmed in who we are. I mean, do you recall the last time you felt seen? Maybe it was a spouse giving you a simple yet meaningful compliment. Maybe it was a boss recognizing you for your hard work. Maybe a friend thanking you for loving so sacrificially. We know what it feels like to receive this kind of affirmation. And at the end or the other side of it, we also know what it feels like to not receive this kind of affirmation and to be known and to be seen. Because words are powerful. Lack of words are powerful. An example that I've shared before that will be forever imprinted in my heart. Uh, a couple of years ago, I started kind of in the evening, started working at this new gym, coaching CrossFit. Uh, and I remember this night where I thought I was doing things bad. I was kind of insecure because it was a new place. And I remember I was walking out of my class because I had just finished and on my way out, I see the owner of the gym literally run and chase me down. And I turn around, I'm like, okay, I knew I didn't do a good job. What, like, what did I do wrong? And out of breath, because he was chasing me down, he says simply, hey, Prentice, good job. That's it. Those two words, all he said was, good job. And I remember leaving the gym just on cloud nine, being so excited because, again, words are powerful. And those words that he was so intentional about running and chasing me down just to say, Prentice, good job, changed the whole trajectory of my day. And it's no wonder, even in James, uh, he says this, have you ever seen a massive ship? This is the, the voice translation, and I love this translation. He says, have you ever seen a massive ship sailing effortlessly across the water? Despite its immense size and the fact that it's propelled by mighty winds, uh, a small rudder directs the ship in any direction the pilot chooses. It's just the same with our tongues. It's a small muscle capable of marvelous undertakings. The words that you speak have power. Enough power to determine the trajectory of your relationships, your friendships, your family, your marriage, your, your, your relationship with your children. It, this sounds dramatic, but it's true. Even the scripture reveals that this tiny little muscle, the words that come out of our mouth, have power to change lives. I've experienced it myself. You've experienced it yourselves. When you think about the times that you have been affirmed, when you've been encouraged, when you've been uh, encouraged by the gifts that you have, we've all experienced this. Words and affirmation and to be known and to be seen is powerful. And yet becomes oftentimes a missing ingredient of many of our relationships. 
When we read these verses uh, in chapter 16, verse 1 through 7, by a glance it just sounds kind of exhausting where we just have to read these long names and greetings from this person and greetings to that person. But don't miss it. This verse, these verses in the first chapters of 16 is very, very important. Don't be fooled. It's packed with, with theological implications. And here's what we're talking about first. What we read here in verse 1 through 7, uh, it affirms first our giftedness. Paul is affirming giftedness to the group of people that he's writing to. Uh, I mean, let's take apart these verses for a second. Verse 1, he talks about Phoebe, a deacon who has helped in many ways, including Paul himself. In verse 3, it says, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, co-workers in the Lord, who have also worked hard, even risked their own lives. In verse 6, talks about Mary, who's also worked hard. Verse 7, Andronicus and Junius, outstanding amongst the apostles. Verse 12, greet, uh, and it's not up there, but it says, Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who have worked hard in the Lord, greet my dear friend Prissus, another woman who's worked hard, very hard in the Lord. Verse 13, he says, greet Rufus. I just love that name, right, Rufus. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me. Paul affirms her work in her motherhood. Paul affirms the work of his friends, Rufus, and all these other people that's working for the Lord. And in verse 16, it says, greet one another with a holy... This is how he kind of seals all that greeting. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, this doesn't mean for all of us to just kiss one another, to affirm each other. But it does mean that there's a sense of acknowledgement. There's a sense of receiving one another, to connecting with one another. See, what we see here in these very first verses is very profound. It's Paul reaching out and affirming people, uh, men and women, in their giftedness recognizes their hard work in the Lord. Even elements of people risking their lives and loving one another and creating the church together and serving one another. Paul is saying, I see you. I recognize that. And you're known. I see you. And it's so incredible to see that Paul is saying this to a diverse group of people. And the question is, when was the last time you affirmed someone in their own giftedness? When's the last time that you affirmed someone, encouraged someone, because you see talent, you see calling, you see purpose, you see skills, you see just something unique about the way this person was created, what Paul was doing, I see you, I see the work that you're doing, you are recognized, you are loved, I want you to hear that. Well, Paul is saying that, when is the last time you have affirmed somebody in their giftedness? It's more than just paying somebody a compliment, it's affirming their calling. And I love this aspect. Your affirmation of gifts to others can be their affirmation of calling. Your ability and your willingness to, to affirm others could be just exactly what they needed to pursue and continue with perseverance in their calling. See, what we all understand is that in our work, in our job, in our life, in our relationships with others, whatever it is, 
There's oftentimes times of doubt. We've all experienced this. Discouragement, insecurities. And the only medicine oftentimes is the gift of affirmation that brings healing, confidence, perseverance. We've all experienced this ourselves. I was with actually a couple friends a couple nights ago just sharing dinner with each other. And, and I remember just talking and his wife says to me that her husband uh, was wrestling with, you know, like, what do I want to be when I grow up? You know, what's my career path? What do I want to do? And, and he was saying, you know what? Uh, and he said this to me before, even several months ago, saying, you know, I, he was on this one direction, actually ministry, you know, to be a youth pastor. And he says, you know what, that, that, I don't think that was it. Uh, and he says, as a matter of fact, I want to get into the world of health and fitness. And so, uh, you know, he and I talked about it for a little bit. Uh, and I just remember simply saying, I see that in you. You should do it. Like, you should be a coach at a gym. Like, that's what you should do. You, you have the talent. You have the personality. Like, I think you should do it. And it's interesting because that was several months ago, and I just completely forgotten that I've even said that. And, and we were sitting at dinner just a couple nights ago, and his wife comes up to me and goes, Prince, you know when he's changed, like, career paths, right? And I was like, no, no, I don't. Uh, and he was like, it was the moment when you said you would be a good coach at a gym. And, and for me, I, I do remember saying it, but I forgot all about it. And yet it was those words of affirmation that led him to, to completely change career paths into a career that now he's actually doing it. He got his cert, his cert he got his, you know, he's doing internship. Like he's completely revolved his life around this new calling and this new purpose in his life. And he feels so fulfilled and so joyful. Now, this isn't me patting myself on the back, but this is me encouraging all of us that words have power. And, and the question is, who in your life needs to be affirmed? in their giftedness, in their calling. Because your affirmation of their gifts can be affirmation of their calling. And again, affirmation is more than just flattery. Affirmation is about telling the truth. And affirmation expects nothing back. When was the last time you spoke truth into somebody's life? And not just believed it, but actually said it, expressed it. And I've been accused by many people of this before, of oftentimes not being encouraging or affirming enough. And I really believe that this is actually a spiritual gift. For many, this comes easy. For many of us, we, including myself, have to be very, very intentional about expressing affirmation. Because there's a big difference between just believing it about somebody versus expressing it to them. And especially when we live in a world of so much criticism, particularly self-criticism, and the world telling us how we need to be and how we're failing and how we're doing wrong, we need to practice this gift. It's like water in a time of dryness and thirst. Because we all know that unexpressed affirmation really is no affirmation at all. So when it comes to affirmation, there's a huge distance between thinking it and saying it. We all know this. Merely thinking it 
can actually destroy a relationship. It doesn't make it net neutral. Not saying what you feel, what you believe, can actually destroy a relationship. But to say it, to express it, to verbalize it, to speak the truth in someone's life can actually build the relationship. So again, when's the last time that you've expressed affirmation, truthfulness in someone's life, in their gifts, in their calling? Because that might just be exactly what they needed for healing, for security, for perseverance. You don't know. You don't know what your words can do, but they do something. So let's not wait. Let's not be shy. Let's be bold. Let's be courageous into expressing the truth about people in our lives that we see and that we recognize. And second, not only does our affirmation affirm calling and giftedness, but may we affirm people in their humanity, in their personhood. And we don't have time to dissect every single name that we read, but if you knew the names, you'd see the diversity of people that Paul acknowledges. So not only is Paul acknowledging people by name, affirming them in their work, in their givenness, in the hard sacrifice that they've given, not only is Paul affirming them in their calling and in their giftedness, but Paul is affirming each and every one in their identity, in their personhood, in their humanity. If you knew the names, you'd see the diversity in the people. Paul acknowledges a diversity of people in their social class, in their ethnicity, and clearly even in their gender. And this was very unique in the first century. Especially a Jewish person talking would affirm only the Jewish people, not only the Jewish people, but the Jewish men and their work and all those things. But yet Paul recognizes people from different ethnic backgrounds, from different gender, from different social classes. There was diversity, again, in race. Again, Aquila and Priscilla, they were Jewish. And then in verse 7 and 11, he talks about Gentiles. In verse 10, he talks about other Gentiles. There's diversity in social class. Some of the names on the list were probably high, or high in royalty or high rank. And some lesser, poor, recent converts. There's diversity in gender. In verse 16, uh, uh, or in these ver- first 16 verses, there's 16 people commended for the task that they've done. 16 people. And out of 16, seven of them were women. Again, very countercultural to first century writing. I mean, first of all, this shows that women were active and influential people in the ongoing ministry and mission of the church. We see that it says Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla was named first. This either oftentimes reflect that this person, whoever was named first, was head of the church or even, get this, head of the household. Priscilla. And in verse 7, it says that Junia is called an apostle. And not only just an apostle, but the most outstanding apostle of all the apostles. Now, For those of you that are kind of nerdy theologically like me, you would know that there are books and books upon just the name Junia. 
because oftentimes there's a lot of controversy and hard to reconcile this idea of Junia because Junia was a, a female, a woman's name. And yet this person, this Junia, was an apostle. And what modern, really modern, not even ancient, but modern theologians believe that, well, clearly then Junia couldn't be a woman because women can't be apostles. And yet clearly Paul's saying women could have been apostles. They were apostles. Not only apostles, but the best of the best apostles. And so a lot of books would suggest that Junia was a misspelling. It was Junius, which is a male's name. And the problem with that, and I just want you to know that in ancient writing and all of antiquity, there's over 250 citations of the name Junia and absolutely zero of Junius. Zero. Plus the way Paul writes, this was probably a husband and wife in verse 7. It says, greet Andronicus and Junia, my relatives. They were probably married to one another. Husband and wife. And, and so when people uh, want to suggest that Junia was a male, uh, Junius, I would suggest that that's a misunderstanding. That's a misrepresentation of this name in the original language, uh, in the original name, that it was a woman. Everything points to that. But the point of this whole reading is this. Not only does Paul affirm people in their giftedness, but Paul reaches out and affirms the people even in the first century, that were considered on the margins, outsiders, people, uh, Gentiles, women, people from lower class to even middle class. Paul was affirming these people. Paul was specifically affirming uh, and reaching out and having these people know that they were known and seen. Very countercultural to the writings and the way of communication in the first century. And the application of all this uh, is this. Who are the people, not only do the, that you know and that you love and that you care for, that need to be affirmed, but who are the people on the margins that also need to be affirmed, that also need to be seen, that also need to know that they are loved and that they are known. And I think about this when you know, I go into grocery stores or walking down the street and I see people that are homeless and oftentimes will we'll ask for money and, and, and I will say, and I fall guilty of this because, you know, I feel so preoccupied because I'm with people, uh, you know, when I'm walking down the alleyway or, or at shopping centers or whatever it is and people ask for money, oftentimes, if you can be honest, you're like me where we just say, no, we have nothing and we just keep on walking. And what I've been convicted of lately, well, really in the last few years, is that even if I have nothing to give, no cash, no money, no food, whatever it is, even if I have nothing to give, how transforming and how, how gracious and how giving of personhood would it be if I were to have looked that person in the eye and say, sorry, I have nothing. Or to say, sorry, uh, you know, I can't give anything today. Or, yes, I have something to give you. Or, uh, hello, or introduce yourself, or whatever it is. But to look that person in the eye, even if it's a no, to look that person in the eye, to affirm their personhood, and to say, you know what, we may be in different places in life, but you are still human. 
And you are still loved. And you should still be treated as such. And the reflection of this, maybe it's not a homeless person, but we have this all the time. We ignore, we forget, we neglect the people on the margins of our lives. Oftentimes, maybe it's a good thing because we're busy affirming and loving the people that we care about and that we know. That's great. Don't stop doing that. And who are the people in your lives that need to hear the truth about themselves because they don't hear it enough? Maybe because socially people have outcasted them. Maybe at work there's someone that no one likes. Maybe someone that no one talks to. Maybe uh, it's people that have been just beat up in life. Maybe it's people in the different race or social class uh, or gender is you that you may not even be familiar with. Maybe people that you ignore because of our own ignorance and fear. What would it look like for us to affirm and acknowledge even those people that we deem on the margins of our lives? Man, these days we're so driven by fear and division. There's so much rhetoric of hate. What if instead we chose to be different and not only perpetuated this language of hate and division and anger and us versus them, but what if instead we recognize them? For who they were. And that they were loved by God just as much as we were. That would change the trajectory of their life, of your life, of your relationships, of the division that's happening in your family. See, let's not be mistaken, these first seven verses are packed with theological implications. Affirm people, acknowledge people in their giftedness. Affirm people, acknowledge people that may look different than you, that are on the margins. They need to hear that. And three, let's affirm the unity that all this encompasses. In verse 17, he seals these greetings with this. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people, Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. There's something about affirmation that is so encouraging, that is so uniting. That truth, when we speak truth into people's lives, crazy things happen. The people that we should be against, all of a sudden, they're humans to us. The people that we're taught to fear, all of a sudden, they're also created in the image of God, just like us. The people in different social classes or different neighborhoods, all of a sudden, become human. 
the people that are very close to you, when you acknowledge them, when you express it to them, not just think it, not just believe it within yourself, although that's a good start, it does something when you actually express it to that person. There's unity. There's love, the love that Christ taught us to have, the love that Christ embodied through the, his death and resurrection of the cross so sacrificially, so humbly. Affirmation breeds affirmation with one another. It changes the trajectory of your relationships. In other words, affirmation creates safety. Affirmation breaks down walls. Affirmation builds trust. Affirmation creates intimacy. This is unity that Paul's talking about. But initiating this, it takes a massive amounts of humility and vulnerability with a world may deem as weak. Maybe to love first, to apologize first, to forgive first, to pursue reconciliation first. The world tells us that's weak, but in the economy of God, it's upside down and says that is a demonstration of strength. And may we be the pursuance of strength Because that's what builds unity. All of Romans has been about unity. I may sound like a broken record week after week talking about unity, but I'm sorry, that's what Romans talks about. Every single chapter, pretty much. And I believe when we express, when we are intentional with our words and the way that we affirm people, in their giftedness, in their calling, even the people on the margins. That is what brings unity. That's when people come to the table and can share a meal with one another. And I would say again, when the world tells us this is weak, the kingdom of God says this is what it feels like to be strong in Christ. And true love makes the first move every single time. True love makes the first move every single time. And it provides safety. That's what I love about this idea of vulnerability, of being the first mover, of being just raw with others and affirming them and loving them with expecting nothing back. It provides safety. It provides safety. May we be a people that moves first, that loves first, that brings unity in mind and makes it a priority. And not to be fooled by flattery, not to be fooled by lies, not to be fooled by smooth talk, and for us not to be that either. Who do you need to encourage today? I want us to think about this for a second. I'm going to invite the worship band back up and, and, and they'll play something just kind of help us be convicted. And maybe our prayer this morning is, God, who do I need to affirm in their giftedness, in their calling? Who do I need to affirm that may be in the margins? And I want us to do something little different this morning in our time of response and you may not hear this a lot at church but here's part 1a of my challenge encouragement to you as the worship band plays something will you take out your phones 
right? You've never heard this at church. As a matter of fact, the opposite. Will you take out your phones? Uh, and and, and not, you know, if you don't have a phone or if you don't want to do that, this is fine. This is not for everyone. But, but, but I want to give you an opportunity right now uh, as we pray about, God, who do I need to affirm? Here's part 1A. It's to just text that person. If you're a texter, a phone call might be a little awkward right now. But if you want to text them, if you're a texter, if you have an email on the, on the phone, whatever it is, we live in a high-tech society, we're in Seattle, uh, will you just send them a text saying, whatever, I don't know, I'm thinking about you, I'm thankful for you. Uh, maybe, you know, the way Paul affirms specifically about how people have even sacrificed their own lives for the work of the Lord. Thank you. And remember, this is part 1A. Part 1B would be actually connecting with them voice to voice, face to face. And I don't know who this person that God's convicting you of, but there's somebody that needs to hear the truth. There's someone that needs the medicine from their own insecurities, from their own self-doubt, from their own low confidence. And may we be the messenger of the cross, of the love and the grace that Christ has poured upon us. May we be the messenger. May we pay that forward to someone that needs to hear it. So will you thank somebody? Will you forgive somebody? Will you apologize to somebody? Will you affirm somebody in their calling and in their gifts? Quickly, just in, you know, in, the, in the midst of your phone, then follow up. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you have loved us so much that you've sent your own son to die on the cross on our behalf so we may experience victory over sin, over death. May we be encouraged and affirmed by that. And may we pay that forward. So God, right now, in these few seconds, will you bring names in our mind, a name, somebody that needs to hear the truth about them, that they are loved, that they're gifted, that they are known, and that they're seen. Give us those names, Jesus. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's continue in worship. Continue in worship. Continue in worship. Continue in worship. Continue in worship.